Anybody recognize the name Jim Marshall? Anybody? Jim Marshall. I knew I knew my Minnesota guy in the backwood. Um, I, I knew you, you'd, you'd know who he was, Dan. Um, Jim Marshall was a defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings in the 60s and 70s. And so he was a part of the, the purple, they call it the purple people eaters defense, right? And um, what's that? I don't know that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, here's the thing, is that Jim Marshall played for 20 seasons in the NFL. 20 seasons he played. He started 282 straight games for the defense. I mean, this guy was a stud defensive lineman, one of the fastest defensive linemen on the team. Um, he was... Uh, he had, I think, somewhere around 28 fumble caused and fumble recoveries in his NFL season, which is a crazy amount. Um, he was a stellar defensive lineman, but probably he is known more for this play than any other play. Can you hit that video for us? Watch this play. Stops, throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. He's running the wrong way. Jim Marshall picks up a fumble, takes it running into his own. He ran over 60 yards in the wrong direction. And, and as if, if you Google the and, and look in Wikipedia and read about the game, you know, all his teammates were trying to catch up with him, but because he was one of the fastest guys on the defense, they couldn't catch him. They said all of the, the, the Minnesota Vikings, you know, people on the sideline were running down the sideline saying, stop, 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 stop. But he was running the wrong way. This is what he is known for, which is kind of sad because he was an amazing defensive lineman. Right after this play, a gentleman by the name of Roy Regal, who you probably don't recognize his name, he played in the 1929 Rose Bowl. And, and he did the exact same thing. However, he was a little bit slower, and one of his, one of his fellow teammates tackled him on the one-yard line to keep him from going in to a safety. He sent Jim Marshall a note after this happened, and it says, Welcome to the club. That's all he put. Welcome to the club, Roy Regal. Have you ever felt like you were running the wrong way? You ever been there before? Wouldn't it be great if we could just put like page numbers on life that just says, or, or just map out Google Quest or, or map quest our, our life to know that this is the way we're supposed to turn and this is the direction we're supposed to go and this is how we're supposed to do it. And just so that we can keep going in the right direction. Listen, life is hard sometimes, right? Amen? And, and sometimes when we get into those places of pain and frustration, the simple truth is, is that sometimes we get going in the wrong direction. What is the right direction, you ask? Jesus said this. If you have your notes, pull out your notes. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to who? Say it with me. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you 
rest. Jesus says this. He says, you want to know what the right direction is when you're going through the mess of life, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're in pain? The direction to go is to me. And then he says, and then Peter writes this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, give how much? Say it with me. All your worries and cares to who? To God. Why? For he cares about you. So why do we run from God? If, if, if Jesus is really clear and he says, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're at the end of your rope, I want you to come to me. Why do we have a tendency to run everywhere but towards God? It's a good, that's a great question. And here's a few answers. Are you ready? One, we have a tendency to run from God when we're mad at God. Anybody want to be honest this morning and say that a time or two you've been a little bit angry with the Lord? Anybody ever felt that? Yeah. We get this unresolved anger and we feel like, you know what? I'm not supposed to be mad at God even though I'm currently mad at God. And so we shove down those feelings of, of anger and frustration. And, and, and as we do that, we have a tendency to allow that anger to redirect us from going towards Him, from away from Him. We get mad at God when we realize that we can't control Him. Anybody ever realize that in life? I mean, you think like prayer requests are supposed to happen when we tell God what we want, and because we prayed it, God's supposed to deliver, right? But He doesn't always deliver the way we want when we want it, and that makes us angry. And sometimes when we're angry, we have a tendency to turn from God and to run from Him. Here's the second thing. Sometimes we run from God when we feel guilty. Parents, how many of times have you caught your kids hiding something or running from you when you know they're about... I, I found this video online, Brighton. Maybe you've seen this before. It's a kid getting caught with a package of Oreos. Watch what he does. <laughs> Ever felt that way before? You get caught... Parents ever caught... Your parent, your kids doing something like that and they try to hide it and act like nothing's happening. We've been there. Here's the thing is I've hit a time or two too. I've hit also. And sometimes I still do. If you haven't ever hid from God, you eventually will. It's what we do. Adam and Eve, we talked about their story in the beginning when they, when they took and, and ate from the knowledge or the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. What did they do? When, after they ate and realized that they had sinned. What did they do? They hid. They hid. They hid. And so do we. It's in our nature. It's why sometimes we avoid church from time to time. You know? It's like, ah, I don't think I'm going to go this week. Or next week. Or three weeks. Or four weeks. And next thing you know, it's been a month or two months. And the reason we're not going is because we feel guilty about something that we've done. The thing is, is this, that's not like God, though. When we hide from Him, He doesn't hide from us. The Scripture is really clear. First John one side, one nine says this. It says, "But if we confess our sins, anybody know this verse? It says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." The scriptures, he's trying to be really clear. He says God does, doesn't occasionally forgive us or he doesn't occasionally want to be near us, but he is faithful and just to forgive. It's who he is. It's his nature. But we feel guilty. 
Sometimes when we feel guilty, we get turned away from God. Here's the third thing. Sometimes we run from God when there's pain we're trying to hide. My dad, when I was a kid, was the master splinter remover. He was the master at it. It didn't matter how deep the splinter was. It didn't matter where I got it in. My dad can do some at-home surgery. He was really good at it. And the thing is, is when I got a splinter in my hand, the last person that I wanted to know that I had a splinter was my dad. Because if he knew, he was going to get that bad boy out. And his way of getting it out was to pull out his pocket knife and get to digging. And he would eventually get it out. And I thought, you know, Dad, that knife, I've seen that knife do some things, you know? I've seen it cut into some stuff. And you're digging that thing into my hand. But he always got... He always got the splinter out. And, and I didn't want him to know. I wanted to hide the pain from him because if he found out, he was going to get it. When we hide our pain from God, which we have a tendency to do, sometimes we become cynical. Sometimes we become critical. Sometimes we become angry. And God's just saying this, give it to me. Give it to me. Stop running when you're in pain. Stop running when you want to hide. Come to me. Here's the third thing, is that sometimes we run from God when we don't feel worthy of his healing. Ever felt that way before? Some of the pain that we face in life is because of the decisions that we willingly choose, right? There are consequences to our actions that we chose in full knowledge and understanding that there were going to be consequences for our actions, And when we begin to feel the consequences of our actions and we feel that pain, we start to believe that we deserve the pain. Can I just tell you, you're worth much more than you feel. You're worth much more than you feel. Anybody ever heard of the Hope Diamond? Anybody ever seen the Hope Diamond in person? I never have. It's in the Smithsonian, if you've ever been to the Smithsonian. The Hope Diamond, I should have grabbed a picture of it. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. It's 45 and a half carats of indigo blue diamond. I want you to Google it when you get home today or after service. It's absolutely gorgeous. Evelyn Walsh McLean was one of the owners of the Hope Diamond for, for a season. She was kind of an odd bird, if you will. Because Evelyn put that Hope Diamond on a dog collar. And she would allow her dog to prance around the house and go to parties with the Hope Diamond around its neck. Can you imagine a dog drinking out of a water bowl with a priceless diamond hooked around its neck? Can you imagine a dog bending over and eating its Alpo, its greasy Alpo, with a Hope Diamond digging into that Alpo as it scarfs down its next meal? treated like common but was it ever worth less no they say the hope diamond is actually priceless it's priceless they estimate maybe 200 million to 250 million for one rock but it'll never be sold because it's priceless treated like common garbage around a doggy's neck priceless work of art. Sometimes we feel the same way. But we have to understand that we are priceless in the eyes of God. 
I put this in your notes, and I just want you to remember this. Are you ready? You don't have to avoid God simply because you're struggling with Him. Listen to that truth. You don't have to avoid God simply because you're struggling with Him. There's a gentleman in the Old Testament by the name of King David. Anybody recognize his name? He was a man, God said, a man after my own heart. Listen to what he writes in Psalms chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that before? Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. A man after God's own heart, crying out his daily struggle, his feeling that he was having in his misconnection with God. I like to watch this show called Lone Star Law. Anybody seen it before? It's on uh, the Animal Planet, I think, or Discovery Channel. It's about, it's about the Texas game wardens. And there was one episode where uh, this game warden was called to, uh, to this high fenced in area um, that had some mobile homes in it. Inside, a deer had gotten stuck, and the fence was about 12 foot high, which is too high for the, du- for the deer to jump. And people were coming in and trying to get it to go out this little crack that it got in with, but every time they got close to it, it would just go crazy, and it would run headlong, full speed, into the fence. And the game warden was afraid that the more that people tried to direct it, the more it would get injured because it was just running everywhere they didn't want it to go. In the episode, this game warden is talking about how frustrated he's getting. He says, every time I get close to point it in the wrong direct, the right direction, it runs the wrong way trying to get from me, and I'm afraid it's going to kill itself. The one that could help it was the one it was afraid of. If it only knew, if he could only speak dear and tell that guy to run this way, to come close, I can point the way out. And that's what God wants to do with us. He says, I want you to come close. You're running the wrong way. God can't heal what we won't reveal. God can't heal what we won't reveal. And He wants to reveal to, He wants us to reveal our pain so that He can bring healing to our lives. We're going to dig into a passage of scripture that we talked about a little bit last week that I think there's a few more lessons that we can learn. It's in Mark chapter 5. So if you have your phones, your Bible, I didn't put it in your notes because I ran out of space, but this is what it says. You'll recognize it from last week. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and told him what she had done. 
And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What are some lessons that we can learn from this story about heading towards God by, to find healing from him? The first thing is by getting well. First one is this. We have to realize this truth. Are you ready? You're not the only one in the crowd hurting. You're not the only one in the crowd hurting. During my years of youth ministry, I have seen more selfies and Instagram pictures taken than any man alive should have to suffer through. I couldn't tell you how many times on a trip a group of girls would come up to me and say, Jana, I know we're in a hurry, I know we have to leave, but we have to take this picture. Let us take this picture together. And I'll watch as this little gaggle of girls will go and find the perfect picture location with the sun setting behind them, and they'll stand there with their phone, and they'll take picture after picture, after picture, after picture, and then they'll look at it, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 i got to do that one over again. And so they'll get together, and they'll do it over again, and then they'll look at it and say, oh, my hair was a little bit off, and one will flick their hair, and they'll all take a picture, and the other one will say, well, I was shifted too far to the left, and so they'll take another picture. And by the time they get done, there's like 30 pictures taken of the same group of girls, and they'll look and they'll say, finally, the picture can be sent to Instagram. Parents, have you noticed this? Some of you may have done it. I don't know. I'm just saying. But here's the deal. They have this feeling that it has to be perfect before it can be posted. Any, any, any families try to take a family photo on a trip? And your family, your kids are like killing each other and acting crazy. And then you make them shape up just for that 10 seconds so you can get, you put her, and then they sh- and then, then you take the photo right? It doesn't reflect at all what the trip was like because it's been an absolute disaster, but the photo looks really nice. I love this photo. This photo was in my church directory when I was a little kid. This is the Hubels. They decided, have you guys, have you ever heard of a church directory? Back in the day, your your, your church would take a photo of everybody, and then they would send it to everybody with their address and telephone numbers and birthdays. This was the photo that they posted in the church directory. And I thought, this is the best family photo ever! Because this is their family. One kid screaming. Another kid is, ah! The dad is like, please, Lord, just get me out of this whole situation. The mom doesn't hear a thing. She's tuned it all out, and she's sitting pretty. This is what our families are like. That's reality, right? There's this pressure that we feel to put on the perfect image. And it's killing us. A friend of mine once said that everybody has something big going on. We all struggle. It's time to take off the mask and let people see us. Jarius was hurting. His daughter was dying. Jarius' daughter was dying. She was hurting. The woman in the crowd was hurting. She'd been bleeding. Everybody has something big going on. Matthew 9 verse 36 says this, when he saw what? The crowds. He had compassion on who? On them. Because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. You know who the odd person is? The odd person would be the one without pain. Because we all feel it. We all feel it. Can we just do something raw today? How many of you would be willing to raise your hand and say, you know what, my family has struggled from time to time? Anybody? How many of you would be willing to say that says, my marriage, ah, there was a season, you know, that 
we kind of got into it from time to time. Some <laughs> wives are like, you better not raise your hand. If I'm not raising, you're not raising. Ever had a difficulty at a job? Ever had a health scare? Not just a scare, but a real health problem? How many ever struggled financially? Listen, we've all been there. We all have stuff going on. Maybe, just maybe, if we take off the mask a time or two and we let people see the real us, they can be real and we can be real and we can find healing. Here's a second thought. Your problem doesn't have to be the biggest to still be important. Sometimes the stuff that we face beneath the surface isn't huge. I mean, what Jarius' daughter was going through was huge. She was dying. The woman is unfortunate, and it was big for her, but the truth is that she's lived with it, right? It's not like she was dying from this disease. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stops. Healing has followed, flowed through him. And he doesn't keep going to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, but he stops to have this conversation with the woman. I keep thinking, what must have Jairus been like? Tapping his toe. Um, Jesus, my daughter, I know this woman, it's a really cool thing that took place, but, but what's really important, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let me show you what's really important. Everybody is really important. We come to church, we hear stories about cancer and losing homes to a fire and all this big stuff going on, and we think about the stuff that we face, and we think, you know what, God has more important stuff to tend to. And can I just tell you, there's nothing more important to God than your stuff, regardless of how big or how small it may feel. I love kids. I was a children's pastor for a couple of years. I love the way children pray. I know a lot about some families in Missouri because of the way the children pray on Sunday mornings. They tell everything. Listen to some of these prayers. Are you ready? Dear God, my mom tells me that you have a reason for everything on earth. I guess broccoli is one of your great mysteries. Please make my parents understand that if I don't eat salad, I'll do better at school. Please, God, forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll. And please don't tell her where it is. Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. That's a great one, right? Dear God, can you get me a smartphone? Santa must have forgotten. Dear God, when will my sister stop being annoying? I'm down to my last patience. Dear God, I promise to never say those words again, at least until my next shots. Dear God, please don't let it rain on Saturday. The first ball I hit will be for you. Isn't that great? Dear God, I hope my dog is with you in heaven. Please take care of him. Sorry if he chews on your sandals. I love it. Ever heard your kids pray? They pray about everything. And they tell God it all. Because they think God cares. And guess what? He does. It doesn't matter what your problem may be or how big or how small you may feel. God cares. Matthew 10, 29 and 31 says, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock 
of sparrows. Here's a third thought. Or fourth, I get lost. Don't get lost in the cave of hopelessness. Can you imagine the hopelessness this woman felt? She's tried everything, been taken advantage of, and it's just gotten worse. Some of you, some of you get it. Some of you have felt it. Sickness that just won't go away. A relationship that feels more strained than when you started praying. A weight loss journey that just keeps coming back as you lose it. It just keeps coming back. And the longer we fight all these things, the worse we feel. The more we want to give up. Depression is a dark cave that's easy to get lost in. Do you know that in America, 16 million people a year are diagnosed with clinical depression? 16. Now that's just those that are diagnosed and are receiving treatment because of it. Think of what that number is with those people who feel the depression but who are afraid to get help. It's astounding. Why do they get there? It's because we lose hope. Sometimes we lose hope. We start saying things like, it's always going to be this way. And can I just tell you that just because it hasn't gotten better doesn't mean it won't get better. Jesus can heal what hasn't yet been healed. There's always hope. How long had the woman suffered? It says for years, right? But it wasn't the longest. John 5, 5 says a man lame from birth was carried in. Acts 3, 2 says one of the men lying there had been sick for how long? 38 years. John 9, 1 says he saw a man who had been blind from when? From birth. And Jesus and the power of Jesus healed them all. Mark 10, 28 says everything, say it with me, everything is possible with God. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Let me shine my light in your dark space. I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. God can heal. But our timing is not always God's timing. Here's the last thought. You ready? Just real real quick. It's okay to keep your pain private. Just don't keep it a secret. It's okay to keep your pain private. Just don't keep it a secret. This woman, she wanted to keep her keep her pain a secret. She wanted to get in and get out. She was tired of the looks. She was tired of the assumptions. She was tired of the shame. She was tired of the whispers. She was tired of being on the outside. And Jesus wasn't going to let her get away so easily. There's something powerful that happens when we share our story and we share our pain with somebody else. It brings them into our life. A bond is created. A trust is formed. A sharing of the weight and the burden that we feel deep down in our heart. And when we share, a healing can take place. Sometimes God used other people to bring about the greatest healings in our life. We aren't meant to do life alone. We need each other. I need you. You need me. I just dare you sometimes to to pick any of the letters that Paul wrote. And notice how many times it says the word each other or one another. Because this truth is, is that God designed us to, in, to need the people around us on our journey. So don't keep your pain a secret. Now it's okay 
to use a little bit of judgment on who you share your pain with and your story with because not everybody can be trusted. But secrets drain the life out of us. Be wise who you share your story with, but share it. I put this in your notes. It's not wise to share your pain with everyone, but it's foolish not to share it with anyone. Amen.